Right, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Dave Everett. This is my wife, Sherry, and uh, we're going to be continuing our Bible study tonight on the true nature of God by Andrew Womack. And we are actually in chapter 9 tonight, uh, the last chapter, the power and joy in God's, uh, in God consciousness. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, just so you know, all of our Bible studies up to this point have been archived on our previous, uh, on our, <laughs> Previous channel on our website, uh, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, anyway, um, and just so you know, once we're done with this book, which we're almost done because we're in the last chapter, I'm not sure if we'll finish tonight or not, uh, we will start our new uh, book, uh, Effortless Change, also by Andrew Womack. And this has to do with um, being in the Word of God, uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that as we get into that book. But anyway, so we're, again, we're going to be uh, wrapping up our book tonight, uh, if not being very close to uh, the true nature of God. We're in chapter 9, the power and joy and, and God consciousness. If you have your books, we'll be in the uh, very first section after the intro. Uh, it has to do with how to be self-centered. And obviously that's a play on words there. Uh, self-centered. And then we're going to be talking about self-centeredness tonight. And so, as we kind of close out this book. So we're talking about the true nature of God. And, and specifically, we're going to be talking about being God-conscious. And uh, the counterpart to that is uh, uh, self-centeredness. So, Sherry will read for us. She'll narrate. And then uh, we'll talk about it. Okay. The easiest way to become self-centered is just by saying, All right, I'm going to forget myself. The moment you start focusing on yourself and start saying, self, get out of my way, you've put your attention back on yourself. In my religious background, I was taught to die to myself. There's a truth in the Bible about dying to yourself, but my idea of how to do it will probably sound stupid. I was seeking God with all I had, and I heard a man say that to die to himself, he envisioned himself in an electric chair like those used to execute criminals. Every morning I would wake up, sit down, and imagine I was strapping myself in that electric chair. As I strapped myself in, I would name each one of my sorry characteristics until I'd listed every rotten thing about me. I kept this up until I saw just how terrible I was. By doing that, I thought I was turning on the electricity and crucifying self. I was trying to die to self by recognizing how sorry self was. But it didn't work. I finally realized that by trying to die to self that way, I actually spent more time thinking about myself and focusing my attention on my sin than I had ever did before. I was more self-centered than ever. I was so religious, people were patting me on the back and saying how humble I was because I was so beat down. Most people believe that pride is thinking they're better than anybody else, that nobody is as good as they are. That is one form of pride, but saying, oh, I'm the sorriest thing that ever walked on the face of the earth is a higher form of pride. Most Christians think that's not pride. That's something else. No, in its simplest terms, pride is self-centeredness. And whether we're self-centered by thinking we're better than everybody else or by thinking we're worse than everybody else, we're still self-centered. And self-centeredness is pride. We can get more self-centered through thinking we're the scum of the earth than we could by thinking we're better than anybody else. This is because it's a lot easier 
to relate to being worse than everybody else than it is to being better than everybody else. It's easy to assume that eventually somebody better is going to come along. <coughs> but if we are really down on ourselves, we can believe nobody worse will ever come along. Or at least we won't know somebody is worse because we think we know ourselves better than we know that other person. Okay, thanks, Sherry. So we're uh, barely getting into this, this evening. Uh, we're talking again about the true nature of God. Specifically, we're talking about being God conscious. That's the title of the chapter, nine, chapter nine. Uh, we're in the first section here, uh, talking about how to be self-centered. You know, and uh, you know, a lot of people think that when you put yourself down, uh, that's not self-centeredness. Well, obviously, if you uh, are arrogant enough to boast in yourself and, and, and puff yourself up, that's pride. We're, I think most of us can connect with that. But when you're also uh, on the other side of the spectrum, you're, you're just putting yourself down, you're still focused on you. <laughs> you're not focused on God. You know, you can get so focused on your sin, your problems, your, your situation, you, um, that you're so focused on God. I remember one time, I mean, I'm sorry, you're, you're so focused on yourself that you're not focused on God. <coughs> I mean, one time, actually, Andrew has said this multiple times, but Andrew has said before that he's been in the prayer lines, and some of his advanced people come to him in prayer lines, that people will come up to him and say, Andrew, I don't understand why my prayers are not being answered. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. And his answer to them basically says, you basically have answered your own question. <laughs> you're so focused on what you're doing that you're not focused on what the Lord has already done. And you're, you're so focused on yourself. And the motive may be pure, but the, uh, it, it won't work. It's self-centeredness. And it sounds religious, it sounds right, uh, but in, it's uh, who you're thinking about. You know, um, we had a gal come to our church one time, and she said about once a month, uh, the enemy would just wake her up in the middle of the night, and she was trained by her church to just do spiritual warfare and cast out this devil and whatnot, and kind of wrestle with the devil all night. And I, I said... You know, when you do that, when that happens, and you spend all night wrestling the devil, who's getting all the attention? The devil. I go, what if instead of wrestling with the devil all night, you just start worshiping God? You just start magnifying God. And the devil's going to hang around a worship service? <laughs> you know, so be it. But, uh, you know, what if you put your attention on God and get your, your get your focus off yourself, get your focus off your you're the devil, and get your focus on God. And she said, she said she did that. She next time it happened, she worshipped God, and, and and it never ever happened again. And so, you know, um, we don't, you know, we can get so religious, and it kind of goes back to I don't know if it was this night or another night, but you know, we can get our our, our religion in the way that we uh, forget exactly how Andrew said it, but it just, uh, you know. Um, you know, Jesus. Let me just say it this way: Jesus said, "By your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect." <coughs> we, you know, even if you have an addiction, and I'm not for addiction. I want you to be set free. But at the same point in time, if you've got your focus on you, what you need to do. I'm not saying there's not some things that might be helpful and beneficial. But get your focus on God. That's one thing we're going to learn in this book when we get to it. Effortless change. Get your focus on God. <coughs> if you get your focus on God, you know, you're going to change almost effortlessly because your focus is on Him and not yourself and not other things. 
And there's an effort to get your focus on God, but God in you is going to change your life. You know, when we were going to Bible college for uh, three years, we were going for four hours a day, four days a week, 16, that's a total of 16 hours a week. Some people don't even go 16 hours of church in a, in a, in a month or a year or a quarter, you know. Um, but we were getting a lot of church. And it wasn't about the hours. It was just we were going to Bible school. And we were, and our focus was on God. We were getting good fellowship. We were getting worship. We were getting good teaching. Uh, we were in the Word. We were working full-time jobs, too, and we didn't do much else because we were going to school full-time, working full-time. <coughs> but, you know, our attitudes changed. Our, our marriage blossomed. Uh, we were never sick. Uh, I haven't been sick, sick. I know I got this coffee you guys keep hearing, and I, it seems like it mostly happens when I speak, and it does happen a few other times. But I never, I don't have the cold, I don't have a flu, I don't have anything else. It's just this nagging cough, you know, that, but at the same point in time, it, it needs to go. But at the same point in time, I haven't been sick since 2009. I don't believe in cold. I don't believe in the flu season. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> and so, by his stripes, I'm healed. And I don't think I have to ha put up with sickness. Anytime I start feeling my immune system weak or a scratchy throat or something, I rebuke it. I come against that thing. I'm not going to have that thing. I, I need to hate sickness as much as I hate sin because Jesus died for both. And so, you know, I'm not going to put up with that. It's just like if an intruder came into this house, I'm not going to put up with that. Uh, and so, there's going to be a proper way of how we're going to address that. You know, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. It's just, you know... Uh, Self-centeredness is, if you're doing your own little pity party, poor me, poor me, poor me. That is self-centeredness. <laughs> you're focused on you. Uh, you know, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Him. It's like the old song I grew up with, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will go strangely them. You know, uh, get your focus on Him. Now, as you get your focus on Him, He may direct you to do some things. And just, just do it. Uh, and so we had someone reach out to us a, f a few weeks ago. I felt God tell me to do this. I said, well, then, well, then do it. <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, uh, it says it's, not, it's not the devil. He's not telling you to do this. And it's not, definitely not your flesh. Uh, that's why you're wrestling with it a little bit. But uh, 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 that might not be the only reason why you're wrestling with it. But I said, if, if it's God, if it's biblical, then do it. And so, uh, you know, and so, uh, anyway, get your focus on Him. Get your focus off your sin. Get your focus off what? what not. I'm not saying that we don't need to deal with the sin, but Christ already dealt with the sin. Get your focus. The Bible says walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key is not trying to control the flesh. The key is walking in the Spirit. Uh, you don't control the flesh by the flesh. That is impossible. It won't work. You control the flesh by walking in the Spirit. And so get your focus on Him. Get your focus off yourself. Get your focus off your weakness. Get your focus off your circumstances. Get your focus, you know, there's a lot of things going on in our government. We need, I think we need to be alert. We need to be sober-minded. And we need to be, be aware. But some of us can be so consumed with that. That we're, that fear is creeping in and different things. I think we need to be aware and not ignorant. But at the same point in time, we need to keep our focus on Jesus. Not the storm. Not the problem. Not the government. Not... The wickedness. And I'm not saying we don't need to get involved. I'm not saying we don't need to do nothing. I think we need, do need to do some things at times. But we, uh, and, you know, 
Um, there's a, I mean, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. And there's sometimes there's a time to fight. And fight for, you know, this country, would, if it wasn't for a war, we would never even have this country to begin with. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we just, uh, there, there are times for that. And I'm not necessarily promoting that necessarily, but also, you know, there's time for things. But even in war, even in times of war, our focus needs to be on God. He needs to be our dominant thought. I'm not saying we don't, sort of so focused on God, we don't do, we're no good. There are some people, they seem like they're so focused on God, they're no earthly good. <laughs> I think we need to be, we need to be occupied until he comes. There's, there's work to do. There's a lot of work to do. There's a there's a whole world that needs Jesus. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, you don't work, you shouldn't eat, you know. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's work to do. There's things to be done. But your most dominant thought can be God. Not your problem, not the government, not the world, not your sin. I'm not saying there's not something that we need to do. But your most dominant thought. And how do, we, how do we make it our most dominant thought? Get in the Word. Get in His presence. Worship. Pray. Hang out with the body of Christ. All these things will help you uh, to stay focused on God. And we need the reminders. We need, we need you know... Uh, you know, anytime you play a sport, and uh, you know, any professional who's been successful at anything, whether it be, a, a, you know, baseball, football, Olympian, uh, whatever sport, even a boxer, I'm not into boxing, they have someone in their corner. They have a coach cheering them on. They, you know, Olympian, in be- you know, in between sports, in between events, their coaches coaching them, mentoring them, uh, reminding them of things. We need the reminders. No, no good champion uh, or athlete has ever got there just on their own without a coach. They've had some type of coach. Whether, you know, whatever that coach came from, we need the reminders. We need the body of Christ. You cannot try to do the thing on your own. And even if you were the only Christian, you still have the Holy Spirit. You still have God. You still have prayer. And you're never alone. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do nothing. You can't change your life. You can't change your behavior. You can't change anything. But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And there's nothing impossible to those who believe. Anything you want to add? Uh, Just to go back, you know, Andrew's bringing the the thought process of, you know, being God-centered versus self-centeredness. And, you know, Dave had said, you know, we need to be careful about the poor me, poor me, poor me. And, you know, it might sound like he was sarcastic, um, but the, the point is no matter what you've gone through, no matter how painful it is, and we're not downplaying that, but we, and I can point the finger at me, can be so focused on I'm hurting, this person hurt me, I'm not feeling well. Whatever it is I'm centered on that has to do with me and how I'm feeling about it, there is an answer to everybody's problems, and that's Jesus. Uh, you know, Dave mentioned that this morning uh, during service, and you know, he's, I've been talking about the Holy Spirit and having a relationship with him. And we can all get caught on being self-centered. You know, I, I wake up, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm this, I'm that. Or so-and-so hurt me or whatever it might be. And, and some things, yes, are so horrible. 
But the answer for everything is Jesus. Being God conscious is being focused on what Jesus did. God loves people so much that he sent his own son to take all of our sin on him, to take all of our hurt, our pain, our suffering, everything on him. He became cursed so that we could uh, be set free from the curse. And what he did is so much more than anything that we could ever go through. He is the answer. He can give us peace, healing, whatever it is we need, but we do need to focus on him. And we're, that is Andrew's heart and our hearts is just a reminder of it. It's, it's not a good thing to be self-centered, whether it be arrogant pride, I'm better than people, or uh, poor me, poor me, poor me. Oh my gosh, I've gone through this horrible thing that's worse than anybody else. Um, it's just, it's more healthy for you. And, and we are like, uh, I forget where the reference of the verse is, but it's, I pray that you be, that you're, that you be in health just as your soul prospers. If your soul is magnifying Jesus, if you are in the word and getting, uh, renewed in your mind and realizing, oh my gosh, Jesus did this. He's healing me in this. He can take care of me in this. That, that's, that's what we're, Andrew's trying to, to get at. And it, another part of being self-centered, which I think Dave explains it better, is um, we had gone to a conference of Andrew's, and one of uh, the, the other guest speaker besides Andrew was Jeremy Pearson's. And Jeremy was, was saying that if... Uh, we tell God, I've got this. I can do it. I don't need your help, God. I can do it. You've already given me the ability. I can do it. That's being self-centered. That's if that's saying, if you can say, I can do it, I don't need God's help, that's being self-centered. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of times we don't think that um, being insecure is pride. It's self-centeredness. It's uh, you're focus. You're insecure because you're focused on you. See, when I talk about humility, I always use David as an example. When David came on the scene with Goliath, he was the most humble person on that scene. Now, his brother thought he was cocky because it can come across as arrogant. But David was the only one trusting God. Saul and the armies of Israel were trusting themselves for 40 days and wallowing in fear. Fear is focused. They trusted that giant more than they trusted their God. But David was the other way around. He trusted his God. He didn't, it wasn't based on his stature. It wasn't based on his size. It wasn't based on his age. It was based on his God. That's humility. That's what humility looks like. Pride is focused on, I can't do this. Well, the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so, uh, you know, uh, but wallowing in insecurity is pride. Because you're focused on you. Focus on God. Depression uh, is pride. Because you're so unfocused. Poor me, poor me, poor me. You know, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to be mean. 
But at the same point in time, I'm trying to help. And sometimes we've got to shake the tree. Sometimes you've got to uh, shake the eagle out of the eagle's nest. It's time to fly. We have many speakers at uh, Karis Bible Colleges who will basically say, take your thumb out of your mouth, pull up your big boy pants or big girl pants up, and let's do this. You know, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to be mean and sensitive, but at the same point in time, get your focus off you, your circumstance, your pity party, and let's do this. And let's be the people of God. Let's be the children of God. Let God get you out of this pit, get you out of the situation as you trust Him. And, and, and But you're not going to get there uh, having a pity party. You're not going to get there being focused on yourself. You're going to get there by trusting Him. And that's the thing, trusting Him. What does God's Word says, say that He did for you? What does God's Word says that He what he thinks about you, how he feels about you, who you are in Christ, because that's the truth. You know, we sing um, one of the songs this morning in worship, we sing a Charlie and Jill LeBlanc song, and that starts out uh, by saying, how precious are your thoughts of me, Lord. God has so many precious thoughts about us because he loves us so much, and he's just almost like a, a, a pleased and proud parent of their of their baby like oh my gosh sherry has all her fingers and toes she is just so beautiful in my sight um my my grandma told me one time that when i was born and um uh the first time she saw me she said she she is so precious she's like a little rosebud and that, that's how God sees us. He sees us as being so perfect in Christ. What Christ did on the cross washed us white as snow, made us accepted in the beloved. And, and all God says, you are all fair, my beloved. I don't remember your sin and your ugliness. I just see beauty. I created you on purpose to be you. That's what we're supposed to think about. I mean, I'm not... In, in a sense, I can say I'm proud of the fact that God loves me, but I'm so in awe that he loves me that I don't, I'm not walking around with my nose in the air being so prideful that God loves me. I'm just like, oh my gosh, God loves me. It's just an overwhelming thought. And yet God in his word proves it over and over how precious we are in his sight. And that's, that's one one great reason to be God conscious because the only opinion that matters about ourselves is God's opinion. My opinion about myself, Dave's opinion about myself, someone else's opinion about myself, someone who's mad at me's opinion about myself. None of that matters. Do I want Dave to have a good opinion of me? Yes. Does he? Yes. But God's opinion is better and it's God's opinion that counts for each one of us. All right, let's read the next section. Uh, we talked about uh, how to be self-centered. Let's talk about how to lose self-centeredness, which has to do a lot with what we've been talking about all along. Instead of dying to self through my electric chair, I was actually resurrecting and glorifying self by focusing attention on it. The way to die to self is to get our attention so much on someone else that we forget about ourselves, like when we fall in love. When you fall in love, you get so conscious of that person that you totally forget about yourself. 
You'll say and do things that you would never do under normal circumstances. When you are in love, you can get so conscious of him or her that you actually forget about yourself. I used to pour cement before I became a minister. My boss was a Christian and my best friend was on the crew. We probably led an average of one person a day to the Lord. Cement truck drivers, people who sold us refreshments, and others. But most of the workers on the crew were not saved, and we were constantly witnessing to them. They just couldn't get over how much of a Puritan I was, and they were always trying to find something wrong with me. They were always giving me a hard time. When my wife Jamie and I were first going together and engaged to be married, they just couldn't believe I was keeping myself honest and pure through their whole relationship. They would give me a hard time every day at work and say, uh-huh, you were out playing licky face last night. They were always accusing me, poking fun at me, and trying to get me mad at them. The truth was that Jamie and I were engaged to be married before we ever even held hands. It was amazing how God put us together. And I was so obviously in love with her that the guys on the crew continuously razzed me. So I avoided this subject and tried not to mention or talk about Jamie on the job at all. One day it was really hot and I was troweling the concrete where a bay window would be installed. As I worked, the water was floating to the top of the cement until I could see my reflection in it. As I was sitting there working, I realized I was saying, Jamie, I love you, over and over. I was seeing it out loud. I was thinking it at first. Then I had actually started saying, Jamie, I love you. Then I looked down into the water and I saw not only my own face, but all of these other faces around me. They really gave me a hard time after that. I never would have been saying something like that if I had been self-conscious. But I was so into thinking about Jamie that I literally lost consciousness of myself. Do you know that's how it should be with the Lord in your life? The way you die to yourself isn't by thinking you're, you sorry thing and focusing your attention on yourself. The way to die to yourself is to get your mind so on God and about who God is that you literally lose consciousness of yourself. You can lose your self-consciousness in God. On March 23, 1968, I had an experience with the Lord and through it, God changed my life. I became so consumed with how much God loved me that I honestly just lost conscious contact with the world. It was four and a half months later before I remembered that there was a television or a radio. I didn't even have any knowledge about what I was doing. I became totally oblivious to myself. I'm an introvert by nature. When I was in high school, someone would say good morning to me and it would be two blocks later before I could manage to say good morning back. I just couldn't talk to people or relate to people because I was so introverted. Yet when I saw how much God loved me, I became so consumed with God's love and what He had done for me that I didn't even think about myself. I changed to the point where I'd grab people coming out of convenience stores if they had a pack of cigarettes or a case of beer and say, you're going to hell, you need Jesus. I would do that right in front of everybody. Now that's not the best way to witness and God has given me wisdom since then. But what I'm saying is that there was a total transformation in me. I totally forgot about myself by recognizing how much God loved me. God's love transformed my life. The Old Testament law never did that. The law never changed me. 
The law only made me conscious of how much a sinner I was, because it was an administration of death and condemnation. The law kept me from engaging in some sins, but I was totally self-centered, and being trapped in self-centeredness is bondage. God set me free by revealing his unconditional love for me. Love did not encourage me to live in sin. In fact, I started living an even holier life than I had done before. But the difference was that now I was doing it out of love for God instead of, trying, of doing it to try to earn the blessings of God. All right, this is powerful. I hope you're, you're hearing this. So you know, a lot of this, what he's saying here, is just reiterating what Sherry and I have been talking about the last few minutes. You know, focus, put your focus on God. Put your focus on His love. Uh, his love for you. You can't even love him till you know how much he loves you. You can't love others until you know how much he loves you. Get your focus off. How do you get your focus off yourself? Get your focus on God and how much he loves you. Get lost in his love. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, when you're falling in love, uh, like he said, or whatnot, you know, you just, you know, there's some, there's some areas in my life I don't care what anyone else thinks. <laughs> You might, you might laugh at me like people laughed at Andrew, how much I love Sherry or I love God. You know what? <laughs> some, sometimes, to some ways, that would be a compliment <laughs> in some ways because, I mean, I just like you're missing out. <laughs> and so especially when it comes to God, you know. Uh, he, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if I was a total introvert like Andrew. I mean, I was insecure. I know that. Uh, some of that had to do with being bullied for two and a half years in junior high. Uh, that that did do a lot to my uh, insecurity um, and whatnot. You know, you know who who God used to break a lot of my insecurity were well, a bunch of kindergartners. <laughs> I was very insecure from junior high through high school and also part of college. And even even now, sometimes I still struggle with that from time to time. But uh, uh, I got a job working on a playground with kids. And, uh, I was on the K to two playground. Those kids didn't care what you looked like, what you smelled like, as long as you weren't boring, as long as you weren't mean. Uh, they just, they, they kids were just kids. They just wanted you to have fun. And so, uh, but God used a bunch of kindergartners uh, to break that insecurity. And so, uh, um, uh, so you know, God can use some awesome things. Because I got so focused on them. Uh, you know, that was the only job I left that I cried. You know, I've had jobs... And some jobs I was glad I was gone, you know. Uh, I mean, I didn't miss it. I was, I, I had a party when I left that job. Uh, if I, not the way the world parties, but I had my own little uh, party. But that was the only job I left that I cried, you know. And uh, I, I just, uh, I, I, I just really uh, loved working with those kids. It was probably the lowest paying job I ever had, but it was the most rewarding job I ever had uh, in that regard, so. Yeah, when I met Dave, he was working there, and I have some pictures, actually, of him on the campus with the kids, and they're all grinning ear to ear. Dave's grinning ear to ear. His co-workers, co-workers are grinning ear to ear. I mean, he did have some fun times there with, with those kids. Um, I, I was, in a sense, a little bit like Andrew growing up. Um, I, I, I was very shy. I didn't want to talk to anybody if I didn't have to. And uh, I, I laugh now, but there were times when my mom and I would be in a restaurant and we would be like, 
hey, we need something. We need salt. We need another fork. You bug their waiter. No, you bug. Because um, my mom was shy too. Both of us were like, we don't want to talk any strangers because what if we're like, I don't know, whatever you think of when you're shy. Um, but now I'm like, oh, we need a we need another fork at the table. Excuse, excuse me. I mean, when I when I go for walks, I, I see how many people I can make eye contact with and, and smile and say good morning or good afternoon, whatever time of day it is. I mean, I just it's a delight to be able to do that. And um, we start Dave and I talking about God with someone, and it's it's really hard to to shut up. Um, before you could barely get me to say boo to anybody. Um, I never thought I would be a leader in the church. Uh, I just thought I'd be quietly in the background and, you know, now I'm uh, married to a pastor and I'm a pastor and it's just like, if it wasn't for God and what he did in my life, I mean, it's totally awesome to be God conscious because then you have self-confidence and joy and a, a lot of, a lot of good stuff. All right, let's read some more. God's love. Uh, this is a little lengthy section. This is the last section of the book before the conclusion. So, If you understand what I'm talking about, then you will understand that getting out from under the Old Testament law is not going to free you to sin. It will free you from sin. The sins you have committed won't weigh you down or make you feel defeated and negative anymore. God's love will throw all that sin behind you. God's love will break the dominion that, of that sin over you so you can start seeking and pursuing His will for your life. Praise the Lord! But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 9:11-14. Jesus entered once into the holy place. He didn't enter many times, but once, and he obtained eternal redemption for us. That's important. Verse 13 talks about the Old Testament administration. Those sacrifices could atone for the sins of the Old Testament believers, but they couldn't purify their spirits. To be God-centered instead of self-centered, the conscience has to be purged from dead works and feelings of guilt, condemnation, and inadequacy. Only the sacrifice of Jesus is fully capable of doing that. In the flesh, I recognize I'm inadequate. But in the spirit man within, God has equipped me, and I have all Jesus provided. Christians walk in varying degrees of that power, but all believers have the standard equipment. God doesn't have stripped-down models. All of us came with full provision for everything through Jesus. Because of that, we can and should have our consciences purged from dead works. We should be purged from sin consciousness and self-consciousness and be totally God-conscious. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, 
can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. If the Old Testament sacrifices could have really done what they were picturing, they would have ceased to be offered. The picture that was given through these sacrifices was a cleansing of sin. If they had really worked, then they would have ceased to be offered because the worshipers would have been purged and had no more consciousness of their sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then I said, I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that me he may establish the second. Hebrews 10, 3-9 To summarize this passage of scripture, what the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do, Jesus did. If the Old Testament sacrifices could have worked, they would have purged our consciousness to such a degree that we would have had no more consciousness or awareness of sin. The Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do it, but the New Testament sacrifice of Jesus did. Our inheritance through Jesus is that we can be so God-conscious, so loved, so forgiven, and so cleansed of our sin that we are able to approach God without any awareness of sin. Some people might say they just can't relate to that. They believe when we come before God, we have to start confessing our sin. Do you know why prayer is drudgery for most people? Because instead of coming to fellowship with God and to worship Him for who He is, we come in and immediately start telling Him who we are and what we've done wrong, dragging up all of this old trash and reminding ourselves how rotten and unworthy we are. As a result, our prayer time is not that pleasant. After a little bit of that, it's going to be drudgery. Just about anybody would rather watch a football game than go into prayer and remember how rotten they are all the time. Maybe they have something they need to pray about, but they watch a ball game instead. Why? Because between every play, the commentators, commentators don't say, You sorry things, you've sinned against God. Most of you haven't paid your tithes this week. You haven't been living right. You haven't been treating your spouses the way you should or spending time with your kids. If sports commentators started telling us every rotten thing about us between every play, we would turn the game off. Commercials minister to us also. They try to sell us whatever makes us feel, so we'll buy their products. They usually make us laugh and feel good. So we would rather escape into television than hear how rotten we are in prayer. Sometimes it's necessary to confess sins, but it never feels good. And I guarantee if our relationship with God always revolves around coming before Him and telling Him how sorry we are, then we're not going to enjoy spending time with Him. 
God doesn't desire that, but that's the way most of us have been conditioned to think. If that's the attitude you've adopted, the devil doesn't have to condemn you because you've already you're already doing such a good job of condemning yourself. Most of us have been so religiously taught that we'll come into pray, lay ourselves down like a rug, walk all over ourselves, spit on ourselves, and talk about how terrible and rotten we are. Then we wonder why we don't enjoy the presence of God any more than we do. If you haven't already, why not come into his presence, let him love you, and just start praising him for who he is right now. You're his child, and he loves you, no matter what has gone on since your last prayer time. You know, remember, we're talking about the true nature of God. And I like this paragraph towards the end where uh, Andrew says, our inheritance through Jesus is what we can be, is, is, is that we can be so God conscious, so loved, so forgiven, so cleansed of our sin that we are able to approach God without any awareness of sin. You know, so many times we, when we come to God, this affects some of our prayer lives, that we, we're, we, we might not voice it. And we might not even so much put into words or even a, a complete thought. But somewhere in our conscience, because our consciousness is on sin, we think we are unworthy of God answering our prayers. We think we have to earn it. We just think we have to do something to get God's favor. No, you already have God's favor because you are a child of God. And so uh, we, we, you know, we can come boldly to his son of grace in our time of need. We can be so conscious of his love and his forgiveness that we're cleansed that we don't have to take up the whole, t you know, if, if Sherry came to me every single time and said, sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, I'm not saying there's not times where we have to make things right and apologize. I'm not saying there's not times where that needs to be said and done. But if that's all that ever took place, and, that, and she came to me every time that way, I mean, there's sometimes, I'll just uh, say it this way, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, especially my wife, but there are times there's been a, uh, what I call intense negotiation, or something's happened, and she felt bad, and she apologized, and I forgave her, but then she keeps bringing it up. I feel bad. Well, we don't even deal with that. But I still feel bad. I get it. You feel bad. But let's move on. Let's move forward. You know. And I said. Let's not ruin the whole evening. Or our whole weekend. Or whatever the case may be. Just because you feel bad. Okay. Let's move on. You know. I move forward. I want to enjoy the rest of the weekend. You know. And, uh, and I'm just using that illustration. Is If all we ever do come to God. Is feeling bad and conscious. Let's enjoy his presence. There's a time that sometimes we confess not because we need the cleansing. We need the reminder. We need to get it off our chest, so to speak. You know? But let's not be so conscious of it that we don't know his nature, that he's already forgiven us. He loves us. He's not holding it against us. Uh, he, 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 we are the apple of his eye. He just wants, sometimes, you know, God just wants to spend time with you because he likes you. You know, there's an old Cosby show, and I know Cosby can be a negative thing nowadays because of the past. But there was an old Cosby show where Denise, uh, one of the, the second oldest daughter, was going to go off to college. And her mom said, you know, not only do I love you, but I like you. And I always remember that scene. You know, God not only loves you, but he likes you. 
Uh, you know, not, that might take a little while to sink in and chew on that for a while. But he likes you. You don't have to try to... He loved you before when you didn't want nothing to do with him. He loves you not more even so that you're his child. And I'm not saying there's not, you know, in any relationship, sometimes we have to uh, to to apologize and whatnot and because it's the right thing to do. But at the same point in time, let's enjoy the relationship. Let's enjoy the friendship. Let's enjoy our Abba. Let's spend time with him. You know, if all friends I have in my life, if all we ever do is apologize, but we never have any friendship, you know, when do we, when do we move past the apology? I'm not saying the apologies don't need to take place, but when do we move forward? When do we enjoy the friendship? When do we do we we go forward? You know, if it's truly a friendship, if it's truly a marriage, then yeah, we should forgive one another. We, you know, we, you got There's a difference between hurting somebody maliciously and hurting somebody. Uh, you know. We will fail each other, and sometimes the people you hurt the most are the ones you love the most. You know, people I don't know, people I don't have a connection with, you know, they can't really hurt me because I don't even know them. <laughs> I don't even have a relationship with them. They could be mean to me, but their feelings just fall to the ground because I, I don't even care if they like me or don't like me. Because I don't have a connection with them. But we, how many of those, we all wake up the wrong day, and sometimes we're, we're rude and do this or that. You know, uh, some, we've done it where we've snapped at each other, we just not because the other person was the fault, we just when we were tired, cranky, whatever. You know, so, you ever wake up on the wrong side of bed and nobody can please you? No matter what, you can't even please yourself. You're cranky. Have you ever been cranky at yourself all day that you took it out on everybody else? You know, sometimes, sometimes you're more mean to yourself than you, you are to others, and so we, we've all been there, you know, and... Uh, uh, but let's enjoy his love. Let's enjoy his uh, friendship with him. Let's enjoy uh, him. And so, um, and then he ends it with this. If you haven't already, why not come into his presence? Let him love you and just start praising him for what he is right now. You're his child. He loves you no matter what you have gone, no matter what has gone on since your last prayer time. And so I just like that. God loves you. You know, just spend time in his presence and whatnot. There's different things you can do. You know, some of the, some of the uh, our choices here and I have, especially when we have a day off, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And we just keep going back and forth with like a ping pong ball and uh, no one's making the decision until one of us just said, let's go do this. You know, uh, or, or like, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? You know, we do the same thing with that. Uh, and we spend, and there's been times in our marriage that we spent all night talking about what we're going to eat, what we're going to do. We never did anything. And, you know, we, we ruined the whole time off because uh, we couldn't be decisive, you know. And, and that's and a, part of that is because Dave wants to do what I want to do, but I want to do what he wants to do. But neither one of us will give in to say what we want because we want to do what the other person wants. You no, know, it's more blessed to give than receive, but sometimes we all have a hard time receiving. Yes. We need to learn to receive. You, if you don't ever receive, you have nothing to give. You can't give something you don't have. So if you've never received it in the first place, you can't give anything. And so you got, we have to learn how to receive. We, it's more blessed to give, don't get me wrong. But sometimes you need to be the receiver. So you can bless the other person. 
You know, it's not all me, 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 but it's also not all give, 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 give. It's also sometimes we need to learn both are important. Yes, it's more blessed to give and receive, but we need to receive. Sometimes we just need to go in God's presence and let him do all the talking. Sometimes we, you know, if, if one of us did all the talking, <clears throat> that's not a relationship. We sometimes need to shut up and let the other person talk. You know, sometimes we just need to let God. And, you know, sometimes our, some of our best dates is no one's talking at all. We're just enjoying each other's presence. You know, that usually drives us a little crazy because we're using, what are you thinking? I don't know. What are you thinking? You know, now, now we're playing another game. Uh, we even did this, we went on a drive this afternoon, and, and that was one of the conversations that came up, you know. Uh, and uh, <coughs> sometimes one wants to talk, and other one wants just some peace and quiet. So sometimes we have to balance that, too. But anyway, anything you want to say? I, I do. I want to piggyback on, on um, some things that, that Andrew and Dave are saying, you know. You know, Andrew's saying that sometimes we can, or a lot of times, we can come to God and just spill out, like, how horrible we are, how much we've failed, how much we've, we've sinned, and uh, we're, just, we're just pitiful. Uh, I'll, I'll use that word. I'm not sure if it fits. Um, and Dave used the, the example of me, like, if we, we do an argument or something, but I'm the one who maybe said something or did something, uh, to to hurt Dave, and then I'll feel really bad about it, and I'll go to him and just like you know feeling so guilty over it. Uh, we we had a we have a friend. Um, I'll say have she's she's passed away, but she's with Jesus, so we're gonna see her again. But uh, this gal, uh, Lisa Berman, you remember? Um, she and her husband, uh, I think he also passed away too. Uh, they're in heaven with Jesus. Can't wait to see them again. They had, out of anybody I've ever met, they had such a consciousness of God's holiness. I've never seen that in anybody else in my whole life. Even put them all together uh, compared to uh, Lisa and John's view of God and of His holiness and how awestruck they were of God's purity and goodness and holiness. And I remember having conversations with Lisa, who was so overwhelmed by God's holiness that she felt so unworthy. And we would have conversations. She's like, how could God love or use me? Because his holiness, I mean, he's so worthy and, and I'm not. And she couldn't get past that. And I, I had to break it down uh, for her. I said, yes, we're, we're unworthy and yes, we're not holy, but... God, through Jesus, made us worthy and holy of, of Him, just like Him. So in a sense, yes, we're not worthy, but because of Jesus and His sacrifice and His righteousness and His blood poured out on us, we are holy. So we can go boldly into God's presence. We are God's kids, so we are completely worthy to burst into the throne room and climb up on his lap. It doesn't matter if he's making a decree or something. We're his kids. We are completely worthy of all his love because of Jesus. And it, it took her a while, and I think she was still pondering on it, but I had to, to put that seed in her because just like what Andrew and Dave are saying, you know, yes, we... We're, 
uh, we can be pitiful and make mistakes and 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 feel guilty or whatever the case may be. But part of being God conscious is not God is so holy I can't go into His presence, but being God conscious is God, you made me worthy. You loved me so much that you ripped that veil in two so I could come into the Holy of Holies. You made a way possible that I could have right relationship with you. You know, Dave uh, was just saying how much we need to know God loves us, and that's what God wants. God doesn't want us to be groveling on the floor, sorry, pitiful beings, saying we're not worthy. God wants to like wrap us in his arms and, and, and look at us, you know, in our, each of us looking in our, our, you know, each other's face. Um, there was a video on, on YouTube and I'm a sucker for, for cute animal videos on you, on not YouTube, uh, Facebook, but supposedly this guy rescued this kitten and, this kitten bonded with this guy, and so they would the the cat would ride on his shoulder, like in the car or whatever. But every once in a while, they're just sitting there. The cat and him would just like their face, their eyeballs would be like this close to each other, and just soaking in each other's presence. And the, the cat was just so like bonded bonded with this guy, and um, they just had a connection. That's what God wants with us. He wants to, to have us like right here. Like, hey, how are you doing? I love you so much. So, right, well, how are we doing on time? We still have a conclusion here. It's a little lengthy conclusion. Uh, so I thought about um, if we want to, we can go ahead and read this. It's a little lengthy because uh, it's uh, a few pages. If, that, if you think it's doable, Sherry, or do we want to save it for next week? Um. We could probably get it in. I don't know what we'll want to talk about, but it's okay if we go over, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to go ahead and read in conclusion. It's a little lengthy, uh, but then we're going to read it and uh, hopefully finish out this book, and then next week we'll start with uh, evidence change. So. What, I've <coughs> Excuse me. what I've presented is really very simple, and every Christian deserves to know it. it. It is sad to say, but I think not more than one out of a thousand Christians had this accurate concept of the nature of God. Most of us approach God without recognizing our redemption and what Jesus really did for us. We were in a constant mode of trying to perform. We've been putting faith in what we did instead of putting faith in what Jesus did. And as soon as Satan pointed out something we did wrong, we started condemning ourselves and telling God we now understood why something wasn't working in our lives. Do you know why it was so easy to be born again? Because we were told that it was totally based on what Jesus had done. It wasn't our goodness, Bible study, prayer, church attendance, or tithes that qualified us to receive salvation. It was totally based on what Jesus did, on his merits and his goodness alone. So we were able to put faith in Jesus, regardless of how bad we were, and receive the greatest miracle that could ever happen. But when it comes to healing, prosperity, or deliverance, we tend to look at what we've done and say, God, we've been doing the best we can. Is it enough? No, it's not enough, and it never will be. We have been studying the Word, praying in tongues, and doing all kinds of spiritual things we ought to do. But we need to do them to build ourselves up and know Him better, 
not to try to make him want to bless us or give him a better impression of us. We should do these things to stay strong and finish strong in this spiritual race. The reason I confess the word of God or pray in tongues is not to move God, but to move myself closer to him. Holiness doesn't change God, God's attitude toward me, but it changes my attitude toward him. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Revelation 12:11. I overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony or profession of faith in that blood. I don't overcome the devil because I've impressed God with my works. I'm not twisting God's arm with my prayers and God is not impressed with my ability to confess his word. I've known some people who didn't even know how to confess the word of God, but they saw miracles happen because their hearts were right. Receiving from God will work better if our hearts are right and we confess the word of God. But God looks on the heart. The reason people are so easily able to receive things from God at salvation is because their faith is totally in Jesus. But after they are born again, they tend to start trusting themselves, and that's a bondage. I'm convinced that even though people have committed their lives to the Lord, are born again, and know God loves them, they aren't experiencing that love because they are walking in what they have done instead of walking in God's love. Does that describe you? Do you see Jesus loving you unconditionally? Or do you feel Jesus loves you in proportion to what you deserve? If you feel you don't deserve much, you won't open yourself up to let God really love you. God wants to call you into a secret place of close, intimate communion with him. He longs for it. God longs for you. But perhaps you haven't allowed yourself to approach God because you don't feel worthy. You may believe you would, you would be like a hypocrite coming before him and he would chastise you, scold you and say, How dare you think you have the right to enter into my presence, you sorry worm. You may not put it in exactly those words, but perhaps that is your concept. Hear this. God is looking on your heart. God is looking on your spirit man within you. And in your spirit man, you are righteous, holy, and pure. You can come and prop your feet up before God and say, Papa, Father, or Abba, Father. You can relate to him in an intimate, personal way. God loves us, and many of us have been kept out of that intimate relationship because of sin consciousness. Our consciousness have been remembering and are obsessed with our sin. We've been looking at ourselves as sinners when the Bible makes it clear that if we really understood redemption, we should have no more consciousness of sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 You can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in your time of need. Not just when you're perfect and everything's going right, but even when you've blown it and you're in trouble. It's the throne of grace, not the throne of works or the throne of throne of perfect performance. You can do that right now and let God be begin to forgive you. You may need to humble yourself before God saying something like, Father, I'm sorry I've done everything in my own effort. I mis I've misunderstood you. I thought I had to earn your blessings. I've been trying to perform. I thought you only gave me things I deserved and I haven't been depending on Jesus. I've been trying to approach you on my own merit. 
confess it to God. Fall before him and repent, saying, Father, I'm sorry. Start speaking what God's word says to yourself. Father, I thank you that you do love me, that you see me clean, pure, and holy. Sometimes I look in a mirror eyeball to eyeball with myself, and I point to myself and say, Andrew, God loves you. You're holy. You're pure, just as if you never sinned. It's possible that when you first say that, the hair on the back of your neck will stand up because you're thinking, oh, God, don't strike me dead for saying this. But after a while, as you, be, as you keep saying it by faith, knowing it's God's word, it will minister to you and you will begin to believe it. You'll begin to believe God really loves you and you'll get to a point where you can't wait to go right into his throne room. If an angel stood in your way and said, what makes you think you're worthy to come in here? You could rebuke him and tell him, get out of my way. Through the blood of Jesus, I'm righteous, I'm holy, I'm pure, and I'm God's child. You have no right to stop me. When you come into the presence of God, thank him that you are who he says you are. Focus on him and let him minister to you. Then you'll begin to be like him and have no desire to live in sin. You'll start reflecting holiness and end up living closer to him. And suddenly, instead of it being drudgery to try to separate yourself from the television to spend time with God, you'll say, who needs a television? You'll find those carnal things will just fall by the wayside. You'll find it won't be hard to spend time studying the word and praying because you are spending time with him. I read a story about an older man who lived in the 1800s. He told his servant he would be praying in the parlor and to come get him in 15 minutes when supper would be ready. Three and a half hours later, the servant finally forced himself to go in and interrupt this man. The food had been ready for hours, but the man was praying so intensely on his knees with his hands up, worshiping God, that the servant felt it would be a mockery to interrupt him. Finally, the servant went in and tapped the older man on the, the shoulder. The man turned around and said, oh, is 15 minutes up? My time goes so fast when you're in the presence of God. For most of us, however, praying 15 minutes can seem like three and a half hours. It is because we haven't really tapped into the love of God. Our wrong thinking about God has kept us from understanding his love, and our religious traditions and incorrect concepts have kept us at arm's length from him. If you understand what I have presented in this book, it will help you to enter boldly into the Holy of Holies by the new and living way God provided through Jesus. It will give you boldness. And as you begin to pray in fellowship with God, you'll find that praising God for an hour or more is not drudgery, but a pleasure because you know what God has done for you. I know God wants to draw you unto himself right now as you are reading these words. We have been learning about having a relationship with God, abiding in him and coming to really know him. I may have approached it in a way that seems strange to you, but I firmly believe when you really know what God is like, his nature, character, and person, you will love him. I believe the only reason you or I haven't loved him more is because God has been misrepresented, misrepresented and we have misunderstood him. Because of that, we haven't entered in that, in, to that loving, close relationship he desires to have with us. If we can receive what is presented in this book, I know it will set us free to enjoy a fulfilling and totally satisfying relationship with our Father God. Amen. 
So I know that was a little lengthy. We just, we're just finishing our book, uh, The True Nature of God. You know, just a couple things I want to highlight real quick because I know we've gone over in time. I just wanted to finish this out today. But, you know, uh, I want to just piggyback on what, you know, he says, he said more, more than once, one of the reasons why it was so easy to receive Christ as our personal Savior is because we put our full, total faith in what he did. We knew, uh, we didn't, we weren't part of the, the equation. But once we became born again, we, uh, he goes on to say here um, a couple times. Let me just read a couple of these things real quick. We have been studying the Word of God, praying in tongues, and doing all kinds of spiritual things we ought to do. But we need to do them to build ourselves up and know Him better, not to try to make Him want to bless us or give, and give Him a better impression of us. Uh, he goes on to say the reason people are so easily able to receive things from God is that salvation is because their faith is totally in Jesus. But after they are born again, they tend to start trusting themselves, and that's bondage. And he goes on to say um, God wants uh, uh, to call you into a secret place, of a close intimate communion with him. He longs for it. God longs for you. But perhaps you haven't allowed yourself to approach God because you don't feel worthy. That really goes back to what we were just talking in the last session. You know, you are worth God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. <coughs> you got into this relationship because you heard the gospel, what he did for you, and you believed it. And that was easy. All you had to say, I believe. I trust it. I receive you, Jesus. But the moment we get become born again, somehow we switch it and we start basing on our performance. You know, just just receive. Uh, you know, Sherry doesn't have to perform for shouldn't have to perform for me to love her. I should love. I love her unconditionally. She doesn't have to perform. Do I like some things she does? Absolutely. You know, um, I like some, some of the things she cooks and bakes and other things as well. But that should not be the criteria for love. You know, what if she wasn't a good cook? What if she couldn't do these things? What if she didn't know how to clean the bathrooms and whatnot, you know? What if she never did it? What if she refused to do it? Would I still love her, you know? And, and it's not based on that, you know? I mean, uh, uh, there's all kinds of things in a relationship, but with God, it's not based on what we're doing. It's based on what He did. And some of us have never approached God, never had an intimate relationship with God because we had a misconstrued perception of his nature but when we know who god really is he's fun to be around he's fun, you know uh some people have because in some areas i can be kind of like andrew an introvert and i can be very quiet some areas i can talk and talk and you can't get me quiet and, but there's some groups uh, you can't get me to make a peep <laughs> and uh you know, and I, and I know in those environments, I probably come across as very boring because I'm not saying anything. I'm not participating whatnot. And I hate that sometimes about myself. But to I know some to children, when you are not interactive like that, you can be somewhat scary. You can want, 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 because you're a scary person? No, they just don't know you yet. But once they know you, they warm up. And that's why I've had... Uh, with the kids I have worked with at the schools, then once they got to know me, they just enjoyed being around me. The child care workers they didn't like being around is the one they didn't know. They were just scary to them. And it wasn't that they were scary people, they just didn't know them. God's not scary. He's fun to be with. He's fun to hang out with. He's fun to do things with. 
You know, it's fun to do projects. I mean, I took him on my, so many of my jobs. We stocked shelves together. We flipped burgers together. We did all kinds of things. I mean, it was just fun. Having a fun day with God. You know? And so, uh, God's fun to be with. He loves you. He just wants to hang out with you. Uh, and do things. He's your God. He's your Lord. He's your, your, he's your Abba. But he's also your friend. And, he, and so, anyway, God's just good. Having a good, healthy, having a bad perception of God will keep you from God. Won't keep God from you. It will keep you from God. But having a healthy perception of who God is will cause you to come boldly to his son of grace in time of need. So, anything you want to add? No, that was really good. I love this lax, this conclusion. I'm glad we went over to, to do it because how Andrew sums it up and, and what Dave added, you know, I, I, I hope if you're listening to this that you reread that last section and, and just realize how much God loves you. And, and just know that his whole purpose of mankind was to love us and have a relationship with us and, and be family together. And uh, that's God's heart. He, he didn't create us to, to abuse us or spank us or have wrath on us or however you want to describe it as. But he created us to uh, be in fellowship and communion with him and... Uh, he just desires that so much. Well, uh, so we have finished this book. And uh, so we're going to go on to a new book next Sunday night, uh, Effortless Change, which is kind of cool how this ended and how we're going into this book because to me, this is a continuation of how we left this book, a relationship with God and, and, and whatnot. So this is a, a many ways a continuation of that. So... Uh, not so much about the nature of God, even though that will be in here too, to, some, to a certain degree, but it's having a relationship with God. And so, uh, anyway, so we'll start this next week on uh, uh, Everless Change on uh, by Andrew Womack. So, let me just press out, and then we'll see you on Wednesday night as we are still wrapping up our book, uh, The New You and the Holy Spirit, on uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. Lord, I pray that you teach all of us, including myself, a fresh who you are, your nature. And Lord, teach us how to have a relationship with you. Yes, you are a holy God. Yes, you are God Almighty. But you want to have a relationship with us. That's why you died, so we could have this relationship with you. We couldn't have this relationship with you because sin was in the way. But you became sin. You crucified sin in yourself so that we could have a relationship with our Father. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, pray, we, we continue to pray for our country. Lord, we just pray, Lord, there's so much evil and wickedness that's going on in our governments and whatnot. But Lord, we thank you that, Lord, behind the scenes you are doing something awesome. And we thank you, Lord, that, there will, that, that justice and... Uh, uh, will come quickly in this country. We thank you for all those who are a part of this uh, in, in a righteous way, in a good and godly way. Lord, I thank you for giving them all the resources, wisdom that they need. We pray for our country, and we pray for you to heal this land in the name of Jesus. And God, we trust. God, bless America. 
In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday at 7.